Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eSchool News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in K-12 ed tech this week. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. This week, we highlight some pieces of content posted to eSchool News that look at technologies developed for the classroom, but not necessarily for students, the teachers. I'd have to say that historically, ed tech is not something that has been universally loved by teachers. There's an acronym that used to make the round called THWATIS. That's the way we've always done it, which was basically teachers saying, I've taught algebra for 25 years, and I don't need some piece of software to show me otherwise. Well, a lot of things happened during the pandemic, and teachers had no choice but to use technologies to make any sort of learning happen. These next few items show that the days of THWATIS are probably over, and I think that's a good thing. Let's dig in. Starting off, Sam Bowman, he's a contributing writer for eSchool News, takes a look at a topic that we all unfortunately know too well, but the story offers some solutions that might be surprising. He writes, most teachers are overworked and underpaid. There's also a lack of support and resources to help them thrive, particularly when it comes to mental health. As a result, teachers are burnt out and struggling with various mental health challenges due to job demands. In turn, this impacts how productive they can be in the classroom. Positive resources are critical in mitigating teacher burnout and diminished mental health. Classroom technology resources, like video conferencing tools, are one of those positive resources. He goes on to post a half dozen examples of how to help. I'll share three of them with you here. And as you mentioned, video conferencing. So video conferencing allows teachers to embrace flexible schedules that support a healthy work-life balance, he writes. For example, they can continue a hybrid schedule with students that consists of in-person and virtual classes. It's also easier to fit in a remote therapy or counseling session during lunch or after school with video conferencing tools. Another tool, having teachers be able to use their own devices. He writes, Trying to learn a new school-provided device can be extremely frustrating, especially if teachers aren't tech-savvy. In addition, continual frustration can negatively impact mental health and how they interact with students. On the other hand, when teachers can bring their own devices to work, it eliminates the learning curve for school-provided technology. The ability to bring a personal device to work enables them to navigate lessons more confidently and engage with students. And then here's another one, social media. Many educators are against the use of social media in the classroom because it can be a huge distraction for students. However, others have decided to embrace using social media and their classrooms are all the better for it. Social media can be a critical resource for mental health too. For example, teachers can connect with other educators and get insight into how to better the classroom environment. There are also plenty of groups to join and experts to follow on these platforms for mental health and emotional well-being support. Now, if you told me three years ago that video conferencing, mobile devices, and social media would be important tools for keeping teachers sane, I may question your own mental stability. But this piece makes some strong arguments for their positive influences. Check out his other tools, but the story is posted to the homepage under the title, Six Classroom Tech Tools That Help Educators' Mental Health. Next, Chase Nordengren. He's the 
Principal Research Lead for Effective Instructional Strategies at NWEA. He writes that targeted questions can help educators better understand what an assessment's real purpose can be and ensure that students get the most value from that. He offers a bunch of suggestions. I'll share a few of them with you here. For the full article, go up to eSchool News' top news stories and search for eight questions for educators as they use assessments to support student learning. Here's one. What can assessments provide to our school that other assessments cannot? So he writes, different assessments are better at different things. Formative assessment processes are ideal for proposing evidence of student learning in the moment and supporting students in becoming self-directed learners. Interim assessments like map growth help teachers identify student needs across a content area. They help teacher and administrators gauge progress towards learning goals and help predict performance on state-mandated assessments. And then there are purposeful summative assessments that allow students to demonstrate what they've learned while providing administrators with important information about student learning overall. Another question, how will my, uh, my students understand and use this assessment? He writes, students react to the assessment process in many different ways. Many students relish the challenge of demonstrating what they know, and they welcome opportunities to improve on past performance. For other students, however, assessments can trigger fear, self-doubt, frustration, or even sometimes panic. These students may not understand how the assessments will be used, and they might even worry about how the assessment will reflect on them as individuals. How you talk to students about their assessment results and use them in instruction plays a big role in whether their experience is positive or negative. And here's one more. How can I talk to students' families about the purpose and uses of this assessment? He writes, families are among the most important stakeholders in the assessment process. Because a student's caretakers can't sit in your classrooms every day, assessments serve as a valuable source of information on how their child is doing and what they can do to support their learning. Make sure that families have what they need to prepare their students for assessments, understand the data they see from assessments, and build skills alongside their student over time. I saw this piece as another example of, instead of trying to introduce and quote, maybe force new technologies and new ways of assessment on, on a teacher, approach it in a way where it's seen as a help uh, you know, as, as a compliment to, you know, work that we know that all teachers do every day in the classroom. Finally, I had a fascinating conversation with Levi Belknap. He's the chief strategy officer at Merlin Mines. And we talked about their technology and AI digital assistant is put into the classroom and how that can transform how educators teach, giving them the freedom to be anywhere in the room, not just that sage on the stage up front. But before we get into deep in the weeds with that, I asked Levi what exactly AI means when it comes to the context of the, of, of the classroom. Here's a little snippet from the conversation. And I know, you know we've had conversations before about many different aspects of things, but one thing I wanted to, to kind of get out of the way as we start here is to get a definition or a description of what AI really mean. So I've, I've written about education technology for a long time, especially in the education space. 
many times I would see that educators were kind of worried about artificial intelligence. It kind of has, you know, a science fiction aspect to it, right? I mean, they've, they've seen Tom Cruise and uh, Minority Report. They have some concerns about maybe how, you know, technology and, and bots and artificial intelligence will take away from their work as a teacher, especially in the professional space. And I know a lot of that was hopefully wiped away during the pandemic where people began to see the uh, the benefits of that great beta test that we went through, <laughs> which involved the use of, of technology assisting. But when you give us your, your cocktail party definition of, of what artificial intelligence is in the education space. Yeah, that's a great question, Kevin. I have learned from experts here at Merlin Mind that artificial intelligence is often misinterpreted by everyone, even including experts, but for sure those of us who don't build AI solutions on a daily basis, we often get our definitions from popular media, from movies, from other things like that. If I am at a party with somebody and they're asking me what I do and they ask about AI in the classroom, I basically talk about how AI means computers are now doing things that humans used to have to do, right? So it doesn't mean that we're creating computers that are human or that even have anywhere close to the ability to do human things that make us as a species truly unique, right? <laughs> that have allowed us to have the progress that we've enjoyed on this planet. But it does mean things like seeing things that we see. Historically, we had the eyesight to be able to see with vision and rep kind of understand, oh, that's a moving vehicle, that's a dog, that's a cat. We had this ability to see the physical world and then understand it in our brains. AI is allowing computers now to do that, to see things and understand what they are. It's allowing computers to speak and hear the way that our brains allow us to speak and hear. And that is a really powerful function. It doesn't mean that the computer is now human, but it has one more ability to do things with us, for us, potentially in support of us or so that we don't have to do them that require the ability to see and speak. And similarly, I think the other real advancement is in this idea of problem solving thinking, right? So computing information and drawing conclusions. Human brains are very, very good at that. And computers historically have been very, very good at computing large amounts of data, but not necessarily at having insights or understanding trends that would have taken kind of a human brain to do that. So these are some of the ideas, like when you talk about what is AI, well, it's really about like allowing humans now to depend on computers to do things that used to take a human to do it. The whole conversation was really enlightening and positive. And I think we can all stand to have a few more of those conversations. Am I right? Check it out under the webinar tab with the title AI in the Classroom, Supporting Innovative Teaching and Increased Productivity. So that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on eschoolnews.com for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the K-12 EdTech space. Remember, eSchool is always free and always trying to help innovative educators just like you. Until next time. I'm Kevin Hogan for eSchool News.